Tune in and cry it out with me, DJ Susie. Poof is the bottom line for everyone. You're saying poof? Poof. It's not poof. Poof is not the bottom line. It's Proust. Yeah, Proust is the bottom line for everyone. Steve, that's very heavy stuff. It's just Sure it is. It's light. It's not poof. That's too light. It's Proust. Proust. Let's ask Simons. All right. Paul! Medicare for all who want it, is that I also, in the name of freedom, respect Americans' ability to figure out for themselves what is wrong. Well, that's an unexpected visitor. I guess I'm just that sweet. I'm proceeding cautiously because I may be the only person you know who actually knows what bee venom tastes like. I bit into a sandwich once that had a visitor kind of like this, and, uh, um, 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 now I'm rather cautious around bees. Anyway, the point is everybody ought to be able to choose their own health care. Um, Freedom, respect Americans' ability to figure out for themselves what is right.
Your internet radio dial is in the perfect position, and Race to the Bottom is on the air. Time to sit back and enjoy some refreshing Winslow tea. Try it hot, lukewarm, or over ice. Have it with milk and sugar, or a lemon wedge, or oh natural. Mm, mm, mm. Now that's Winslow Tea, a New York City tradition since 1872. Ask for it by name at the tea house or your local greengrocer, because that's how you know it's Winslow. From the Winslow Tea Broadcast booth in sunny, actually kind of chilly, Bushwick, Brooklyn. This is Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, John Reed, and you are listening to Race to the Bottom, baby. My opening monologue, as always, is sponsored by Winslow Tea. That's how you know it's Winslow. I'm drinking it now. Mmm. Trying it lukewarm. How about that mashup? Whoa, that was a crazy little... We heard from... Steve Martin and Chevy Chase. Heard he's a really good guy. Introducing Proof, the Paul Simon song off of Rhythm Rhythm of the Saints. Rhythm and the Saints. Had that song in my head this week. We heard from Mayor Pete getting accosted by a bee. We heard the Beatles. That There's this reissue of Abbey Road. That's George and Paul singing something. It's not... They're singing the song something. It's not they're singing something. They are singing something, but they're singing something. And then I overlaid that with the song Evil by Stevie Wonder. Which is featured in this episode of Atlanta. That me and the wife we watched this week. It's so good. Lakeith Stanfield. He's our is he our Pacino? Maybe. 
our Dustin Hoffman. Speaking of my wife, I didn't know this until this past weekend at a dinner party that Roy Ayers used to live in her building. So we heard some Roy Ayers searching. And some floating action. My buddy Seth Kaufman, I heard you talking about Madrid and how the city opened your eyes. Off the song Rogue River. So we had a great show last week. I'm not going to act like we didn't. We're going to have a great show this week. I'm like the Ted Williams of this thing. High high batting percentage. But I, mine's even higher than 400. Mine's around 1,000. Been watching some playoffs. The Mets are gone. If you follow the show, you know I'm a Mets guy. The Mets... Are, have gone bye-bye, and so is their manager, Mickey Calloway. But the Yankees are still in it. I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best to still stay involved. I try to love, I try to, I try to be a Yankees fan. I really do. But it just doesn't, it doesn't do the same thing for me, emotionally. As my as my medis do. And I was thinking about it today. I was thinking maybe it's maybe it's the uniforms. I like the orange and blue. And I'm saying not now, but from when I was a kid. I just associate excitement with that orange and blue uniform. Is that weird? Little Bremer and McCoy. Put us in the correct mind space for the rest of this monologue sponsored by Winslow T. Yeah, but I'm like Ted Williams. Which remind made me look up this, this article that I wanted to share with you. And it, it got a couple things to share with you today. This article is from Funeral Industry News, and the tie, and it's written by Patricia Hartley. This is from April 7th. 2019. The title is Who Should Have Called Foul When Cryogenics Lab Took a Swing at Ted Williams' Frozen Head? Ted Williams was a baseball legend, the article begins. During his 21-year career with the Boston Red Sox, he won six batting titles, led the American League in home runs and RBIs four times, and was the last major leaguer to ever hold a 400 batting average and it goes on to give more stats about him today though when someone mentions the name ted williams it isn't his phenomenal performance on the field that first comes to mind unfortunately it's his ongoing status as a decapitated mutilated cryogenically frozen body that's now permanently attached to his memory Next section, entitled Final Wishes. This is actually a pretty well-written article. When a famous person passes away, we expect a brief flutter of activity in the media, maybe a 60-second spot with a highlight reel and an in-memoriam screen. And the more distant their fame from current events, the less screen time they garner. 
But from the moment Williams died on July 5th, 2002 at age 83, he's been making news. First, it was the decision of his of two of his three children to honor Williams' wishes to have his body cryogenically frozen. The, sir, the third sibling fought to have her father cremated as he had originally requested. Within months, the news broke that Williams' remains had been decapitated by surgeons and stored separately from his body in Scottsdale, Arizona, Arizona Alcor Cryogenics Facility. To an audience still puzzling over the science of cryogenics and Williams' hopes to one day be revived, this was an atrocity. As a footnote, it was also reported that several samples of Williams' DNA were missing. Ooh. But the worst was yet to come. Fast forward seven years to 2009, when a book by former employees of Alcor hit the shelves containing explosive allegations of Alcor's abusive treatment of William's frozen head. Author Larry Johnson, I don't think that's the Larry Johnson who played on the Charlotte Hornets, but it doesn't say, maybe it is. Author Larry Johnson wrote that an empty tuna can was used as a pedestal to support the slugger's head. While experiments, which subsequently cracked his frozen brain, were conducted. When the tuna can became stuck to the head, an Alcor employee allegedly tried to dislodge it by swinging at it with a monkey wrench. In the process, missing the can and connecting with William's head instead. Johnson wrote that the impact sprayed bits of frozen head around the room. So I talk a lot of trash on the show from time to time and just not even going to do a transition from that. I just want to let that article just live, live in your brain, in your pre-frozen brain. I talk a lot of trash on this show from time to time and that's why I have to balance it out with, uh, wait, that's the next, first of all. I'm all over that. Okay. That that article was very disturbing. Tuna can? Tuna can? I make mistakes from time to time on this show. And that's why sometimes I have to say excuse me. I'm going to teach you how to say excuse me in French. That means I am sorry. Excusez-moi. Excuse-moi. Pardon, pardonnez-moi, je suis désolé. So this isn't a big thing, but I I did um, need to address this. So someone pointed this out. Last week I was talking about Suzanne Vega. And I mentioned that, which other songs besides Luca, which I played in the mashup, she wrote. And I mentioned... Tom's Diner. Do, 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 do. And I also said that she wrote 96 Degrees in the Shade. That's this song. 96 Degrees in the Shade. She didn't write that song. She wrote 99.9 Fahrenheit Degrees. And I apologize to Miss Vega for, the, for that oversight. 
ok So now it's time for me to say that I talk trash from time to time on this radio program, and that's why I have to balance out my trash talking with a little love and a segment we like to call Recommended. It's a recommendation. 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 It's a recommendation. Recommendation. is brought to you by, so I used to do the show in Asheville, North Carolina, and some of my sponsors still listen and still feel like they get the bang for the buck that they need by, by continuing to sponsor my show here in New York City. And one of these sponsors, of which I speak, is Randolph Dental Spa and Comfort Center. And Randolph Dental, Dental Spa and Comfort Center wanted to uh, sponsor Recommended this week. So let's hear from them and then we'll get to my recommendation. Having dental problems is no laughing matter. Some people can hardly open their mouths or smile for the fear that people might notice gum decay, abscesses, canker sores, bad breath, or even baby teeth. At Randolph Dental Spa and Comfort Center, we want to meet you where you're at in a judgment-free, supportive, holistic, and comprehensive health and wellness environment. We will not laugh at you. We will not cringe, make horrible faces, or be repulsed and disgusted by the deplorable state of your dental health, even if it is the result of your own negligence or flat-out laziness. At Randolph Dental Spa and Comfort Center, we will not belittle you or call you names. We will be honest and embark on salvaging your oral calamities. Schedule a consultation. Give us a call at 828-259-3359. That's 828-259-3359. One more time, that's 828-259-3359. I repeat, the number is 828-259-3359. Just give us a call, 828-259-3359. Thank you to Randolph Dental Spa and Comfort Center. I think you heard the phone number. I can't remember. I might have to listen to that ad again. No, I can't remember the phone number. So, I want to recommend... The most recent episode of the New Yorker Fiction Podcast with Deborah Treisman is the fiction editor of the New Yorker, and uh, I've I've been listening to this off and on. Kind of fell off a little bit. Sometimes it can be a little dry, but man, this most recent one was Jum- Jumpalahiri who wrote uh, The Lowland, which I, I love that book, Inter- Interpreter of Maladies, one of my all-time favorite books. She's reading Primo Levi's Castario di Centauris, um, which is about this fantastical tale of a centaur in modern times. 
and it is very worth a listen. So check that out. You will not be disappointed. Also, I just wanted to give a shout out uh, and recommend uh, R.I.P. Jesse Norman, who died this past week, which is crazy because I played her singing Strauss's four last songs, and that's last week on the show, and that's how I heard about Jesse Norman. I was watching the movie The Hours with Meryl Streep about Virginia Woolf and other other women and there's a scene where she's getting ready for the, for a party it's kind of based around Miss Dal- Mrs. Dalloway and Meryl Streep's getting ready for her party and she's got her flowers and she's blasting this opera music I had to figure out what it was immediately and buy it and it was Jesse Norman singing Strauss's leader her his Strauss's last four songs that he did and one of my favorite things of all time maybe we'll play some of that later this is Thelonious Monk playing Duke Ellington in the background I've got it bad and that ain't good also a great record one of my all-time favorite. So the phone number is 718-928-9732. Got a laid-back show today. You can give us a call. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. Last week, I was about to play this tune by Bell and Sebastian called I Fought a War, and then John Scales called in, and we had a wonderful talk, which I've posted you can listen to the whole episode, or I've, I've also posted the edited interview on my SoundCloud under the title, Planet Compositions Are Planets, which was an idea that John Scales propagated during the interview. Check that out. But uh, yeah, this song that I'm going to play is brought to you by Me Bottle, and Me Bottle is our big sponsor here at the station, helping us to do the things that we do, all the like 80-some shows that we have on the station. Check them out. Check out the other shows and check out Me Bottle. It's basically like an LED-equipped uh, bottle that eliminates all the bacteria in your water. And you just charge it with a mini USB. Pretty cool stuff. Go to MeBottle.com for more info and thank thank you to them for their wonderful patronage so this tune this is a great tune you might have forgotten about Bell and Sebastian but you shouldn't have because they've got great songs like this I fought a war I fought in a war And I left my friends behind me To go looking for the enemy And it wasn't very long Before I would stand With another boy in front of me 
And a corpse that just fell into me With the bullets flying round And I reminded myself of the words you said When we were getting on And I bet you're making shells back home For a steady boy to wear Round his neck while it won't hurt to think of you As if you're waiting for this letter to arrive Because I'll be here quite a while I fought in a war And I left my friends behind me To go looking for the enemy And it wasn't very
If you'd like to listen to RFP when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash newsletter. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. To help support our mission, we invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org donate. Every cent helps us to continue to stay on the air. So please support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions are tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Again, that's RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Radio Free Brooklyn is proud to announce that we have launched an after-school program for teenagers to learn media literacy through media making using a hands-on approach guided by local professionals. If you'd be interested in participating or donating to this program, please go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash afterschool. And remember, all donations are tax-deductible. This is that Jesse Norman I was talking about. We got a phone call. Race to the bottom. It's Dr. Dad calling in. Oh, what's up, Dr. Dad? I was just thinking about how uh, anybody that during this time in our political life uh, starts talking about when Nixon was being uh, impeached and has memories of it, uh, has a a major divider between generations, because you weren't even born when it happened, but I remember it just kind of like it was last month. Now, something that I uh, is, and we can talk about impeachment for a little bit, but then I have a question about Ted Williams for you. Um, Okay. Uh, when, so people are saying that, you know, it, it seems like the Senate right now is kind of intransigent and there's no way that, that the, the Republican Senate will, will flip to vote to impeach. Uh, but then some people are saying that it seems like that, but it could just switch very, very rapidly if it does switch. And when Nixon was, was facing his, his ordeal, was there a time during the process where it felt like there was no way that uh, Republican senators would, would ever uh, kind of uh, turn against him? It, it felt that way. And what was amazing was how no matter all the evidence uh, was being brought, you know, this is in the House, evidence would be brought up and then there would be this little group of Republicans not that always vote no guilty, no guilty. And you think, what in the world are these people thinking? And, uh, but, but, uh, eventually when the majority of, of people out in the citizens began to flip, then, then there was this tremendous shift because people realized if they kept supporting, uh, Nixon, in spite of all this evidence, they're going to be booted out of office. And so there was a, a rapid, you know, very rapid shift. So that could happen. Yeah, you know, uh, apropos of that, I was just listening to a thing uh, with this reporter who's who's done a lot of research and and 
uh, biography of uh, Roger Ailes, uh, who started Fox News. And she, she said that part of why he wanted to start Fox News was to create an organization that would prevent impeachment in that kind of a scenario. So as much as I hope that you're right, that Fox News might be the bulwark to keep people from ever feeling like they like public uh, uh, opinion turns. Yeah, there's a 30% of ba- of his base, but see, that's always been there. And there was 30% that even... Even after he was impeached, didn't like it. There, were, and I was living in Michigan at the time, and I could not believe that George Wallace would come up there and try to get uh, uh, people to. Uh, but there were huge numbers of people that show up for his rallies, and I just thought, my gosh! So, see that that corp uh, has been there, you know. I think basically the whole time. Yeah. So. That doesn't mean it won't. That doesn't mean it won't flip, though, because you know that group of people is only about thirty, thirty-five percent. Well, here's from your lips to God, God's ears, right, Doctor Dan? <laughs> um, so, what what do you think about this? This Ted Williams. Did you hear this story about Ted Williams having his his brain cryogenically frozen? Yes, I did. Had, um, had you heard of that story? I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I need to listen to the story more carefully. And uh, I, don't, I know I don't want my brain frozen like that. Yeah. I want to get back in nature, you know, get my body, all my atoms and molecules, get them back out there to do some good. So as as psychologically speaking, uh, how what would be your, your, your feeling about a uh, a man who would who would want his his brain cryogenically frozen to to be able to potentially come back in in, in a, a future iteration. Well, I understand it. We all, we all don't like the idea of being dead. We all imagine living on in this in in a second life, and uh, the Buddhists believe in you know reincarnation, all that stuff. It, it's understandable. The idea of our of our lives ending is really scary and and disagreeable to most of us. Well, you know, it's it's funny because this um, this song that I'm playing in the background uh, is uh-huh. is basically about this this idea. Um, have have you ever heard this that I'm playing this this Strauss four last songs? No, well, you know when when you're talking on with you, you can't have that in the background because it create all kinds of dis, distress. So I'm I'm sitting out on the back porch here looking at the yeah. scenery, you know. Yeah. So. so this 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 is the last of and Strauss wrote this uh, kind of as he was as he was realizing that. It was kind of his his farewell on 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 planet uh-huh. Earth, um, and um, I guess this is taken from a poem. But this this last verse of of this this tune it says, "O vast tranquil peace, so deep in the afterglow, how weary we are of wandering! Is this perhaps death?" So that's kind of a it's kind of a beautiful surrendering 
And I guess when you talk uh-huh. about the uh, your atoms just getting out there and intermingling with the universe, that's maybe a little bit uh, like maybe what Strauss was thinking and, and, and less of what Ted Williams was going for. Yes, and, uh, you know, when, when, when we can accept our mortality, it brings us to life. There's a famous psychiatrist, he's still alive, uh, Irvin Yalom, who wrote, a book called uh, uh, Staring at the Sun, subheading The Dread of Death. And the, and the whole book is about how if you can really emotionally deal with your mortality, it can bring you to life. It nice. makes every day seem so valuable and important and precious. Well, I, th- I think that on that note, um, I'm going to descend into the depths of political despair and... Uh, and, and do this political checkup from from Johnny's. But, it's going to be okay. I'm, I, I it, don't d- despair too much. You got to fight back. Okay. Well, th- thanks for right. for calling and and, and getting oh, deep with us, uh, Doctor Dad. You bet. Okay. All right. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. My dad, your doctor, Doctor Dad, checking in. Let's do this. You ready? Let's do it. I know you're ready for some politics. Put on race to the bottom. Well, it's been another crazy week. For more on this, it's time for What in the Crap. What in the crap? What in the crap? So I don't want to go and and just talk about the this impeachment drama. If you're like me, you've been just obsessing about it all week. I want to kind of do something different. And for my what what in the crap? Something that is not getting enough attention because all the oxygen has been sucked out of the room. Is uh, I think it's on Tuesday, the Supreme Court is, is hearing a case that basically uh, the Omelette Bar administration is trying to relitigate our ideas about discrimination in the workplace. And this is in an effort to roll back trans rights. And basically, they they want they're arguing that people should be able to discriminate hiring and firing based on your gender presentation, and this is based around a few different cases. This could not only be horrible for the trans community, but just horrible for a, a multitude of reasons for all of us. Not that we shouldn't, if it was you know. We should care regardless. But it's it's unbelievable. And hopefully uh, the Supreme Court does the right thing. If not, get ready to hear a whole hell of a lot about this case. If people can focus on more than one thing at a time. So keep your eye on the fruit, as they say. That's a Caddyshack 2 reference. 
Thank you, as always, to Johnny's Automotive for the political checkup. With a last name like Reed, I know how to read a good deal. You know I know how to read a good deal. That's where I go to Johnny's, where they do the job right and check it. That's Johnny's way. Johnny's Automotive. At Johnny's Automotive, we want to make sure that the job's done right the first time. That's why when you bring in your car, we check it to see what's wrong with it, and we decide what's wrong with it. Then we have you look at it and make sure that you agree what's wrong with it. Then we begin to fix the car. Once the car is fixed, then we check our work. Then we check it again, and then we bring in you to make sure that you agree that it's fixed and checked. Then we make sure that the job is done right. That is why at Johnny's Automotive, the work is always done correctly, and we strive for perfection. Come down and see us today at Johnny's Automotive on the corner of Crisco Road and Popular Creek. At Johnny's, we do it right and then check it. That's Johnny's way. See you soon. So in in this spirit of kind of zooming out a little bit, I wanted to read this part of this amazing essay that I found um found out about this week. And I'm going to do this under the subheading of who do you want to win, who's going to win, and I'll try to make that connection. So it's time for who do you want to win and who going to win. I just don't want to be your president to be your president. I want to be your president to do the job. So I rewatched Raging Bull the other night. My wife had never seen it. It had been I had kind of forgotten most of it and I remember enjoying it a lot more than I did and I think that's because when it was when it came out in 1980 not that I watched it in 1980 but I think when it came out this was this was before the anti-hero really made his way into the prominence that he has found in our media culture. And uh, it was, it was you know, it's, it's a pretty amazingly shot movie. And you've got, and the acting is, is obviously strong. But it just, is in, in a modern context, just wasn't that fun. And maybe it's because of, of kind of where, where we are and, and, you know, people have asked why I call this show Race to the Bottom. And I found this this essay called The Age of Humanism is Ending. And it really encapsulates, it's kind of like a thesis statement for this show. I thought I would do a little juxtaposition with... This beautiful uh, Mozart concerto. 
The Age of Humanism. Just want to remember the name of the author is ending. It's by this dude, Achille Mubembe. And I just wanted to read some of this. He kind of starts out by, he wrote it in 2017, and he basically says, there's no sign that this year will be any better than the last. And he continues. Despite complex agreements reached at international forums, the ecological destruction of the earth will continue and the war on terror will increasingly morph into a war of extermination between various forms of nihilism. Inequalities will keep growing worldwide, but far from fueling a renewed cycle of class struggles, social conflicts will increasingly take the form of racism, ultranationalism, sexism, ethnic and religious rivalries, xenophobia, homophobia, and other deadly passions. The denigration of virtues such as care, compassion, and kindness will go hand-in-hand with the belief, especially among the poor, that winning is all that matters, and who wins, by whatever means necessary, is ultimately right. With the triumph of this neo-Darwinian approach to history-making, apartheid under various guises will be restored as the new norm. Its restoration will pave the way to new separatist impulses, the erection of more walls, the militarization of more borders, deadly forms of policing, more asymmetrical wars, splitting alliances, and countless internal divisions, including in establishing in established democracies. None of the above is accidental. If anything, it's a symptom of the structural shifts which will become even more apparent as the new century unfolds. The world as we know it since the end of World War II, the long years of de- decolonialization, the Cold War, and the defeat of communism have ended. Abetted by technological and military might, finance capital has achieved its hegemony over the world by annexing the core of human desires and in the process, by turning itself into the first global secular theology. Fusing the attributes of a technology and and a religion, it relied on the uncontested dogmas modern forms of capitalism had reluctantly shared with democracy since the post-war period. Individual liberty, market competition, and the rule of the commodity and of property, the cult of science, technology, and reason. Each of these articles of faith is under threat. At its core, liberal democracy is not compatible with the inner logic of finance capitalism. Just reread that. At its core, liberal democracy is not compatible with the inner logic of finance finance capitalism. The clash between these two ideas and principles is likely to be the most signifying event of the first half of the 21st century political landscape. A landscape shaped less by the rule of reason 
than by the general release of passions, emotions, and affect. In this new landscape, knowledge will be defined as knowledge for the market. The market itself will be reimagined as the primary mechanism for the validation of truth. As markets themselves are increasingly turned into algorithmic structures and technologies, the only useful knowledge will be algorithmic. Thanks, Al Gore. Instead of people with body, history, and flesh, statistical inferences will be all that count. Statistics and other big data will mostly be derived from computation. As a result of the conflation of knowledge, technology, and markets, contempt will be extended to anything and anyone who has nothing to sell. The humanistic and enlightenment notion of the rational subject capable of deliberation and choice will be replaced by the consciously deliberating and choosing consumer. Already in the making, a new kind of human will triumph. This will not be the liberal individual who, not so long ago, we believe could be the subject of democracy. The new human being will be constituted through and within digital technologies and computational media. Yes. Hear, hear. The computational age, the age of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, is dominated by the idea that there are clean slates in the unconscious. New media forms have not only lifted the lid previously cultural, previous cultural eras had put on the unconscious, they have become the new infrastructures of the unconscious. This is where this gets really interesting to me. Yesterday, humans, human so, sociality consisted of keeping tabs on the unconscious. For the social to thrive meant exercising vigilance on ourselves or delegating to specific authorities the right to enforce such vigilance. This was called repression. Repression's main function was not to set the conditions for sublimation. Not all desires could be fulfilled. Not everything could be said or enacted. The capacity to limit oneself was the essence of one's freedom and the freedom of all. Partly thanks to new media forms and the post-repressive era it has unleashed, the unconscious can now roam free. Sublimation is no longer necessary. Hence, omelet bar. Language has been dislocated. The content is in the form, and the form is beyond or in excess of the content. That's why... Twitter is such a wasteland, right? We are now led to believe that mediation is no longer necessary. This explains the growing anti-humanist stance that now goes hand in hand with a general contempt for democracy. Calling this phase of our his- history fascist might be misleading, unless by fascism we mean the normalization of a social state of warfare. Such a state would in itself be a paradox, because if anything, warfare leads to the dissolution of the social. And yet, under conditions of neoliberal capitalism, politics will become a barely sublimated warfare. This will be a class warfare that denies its very nature. A war against the poor, a a race war against minorities, a gender war against women, a religious war against Muslims, a war against the disabled. 
Neoliberal capitalism has left in its wake a multitude of destroyed subjects, many of whom are deeply convinced that their immediate future will be one of continuous exposure to violent and existential threat. They genuinely long to return to some sense of certainty, the sacred hierarchy, religion, and tradition. They believe that nations have become akin to swamps that need to be drained, and the world as it should be brought to an end. For this to happen, everything should be cleansed off. They are convinced that they can only be salvaged in a violent struggle to restore their masculinity, the loss of which they attribute to the weaker among them, the weak they do not want to become. In this context, the most successful political entrepreneurs will be those who convincingly speak to the losers, to the destroyed men and women of globalization and their ruined identities. This could not be more right on. In the street fight, politics will become reason will not matter, nor will facts. Politics will revert into brutal survivalism in an ultra-competitive environment. Under such conditions, the future of progressive and future-oriented mass politics of the left is very uncertain. In a world set on objectifying everybody and every living thing in the name of profit, the erasure of the political by capital is the real threat. The transformation of the political into business raises the risk of the elimination of the very possibility of politics whether civilization can give it give rise at all to any form of political life is the problem of the 21st century Well, Race to the Bottom's executive producer is Sandra Cologne. Our technical director and engineer is Victoria Brushlion with additional engineering support from Bill Melanson. Our associate producer... uh, Man, I did okay for the reading, but cannot cannot tell you about our, our team here that's working so hard. Our associate producer for digital media is Chimo Rogers. Bingham Salazar directs the show, and for Terry Gross, I'm John Reed. Joanna Perpich is up next with Crime Talk BK. Or if you're listening to this as a rerun on Friday afternoon, stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand. Thanks to Dr. Dad for calling in. Sorry I haven't digested that essay a little bit more, but... I just I had I had to read it out loud and hopefully this this show is is big enough that we can uh do stuff like that. So I wanted to close with this I heard Andrew Bird's cover of Neil Young's Harvest Moon. Um this is this is really nice here. That's not it. 
That's not it. Hold on. Um, what is that that's playing? It sounds good. Dorothy Ashby. That's cool. All right. This is Andrew Bird playing Neil Young's Harvest Moon. Stay tuned for Crime Talk BK. And have a wonderful week. Come a little bit closer. Hi.